want to, again, thank you all for being with us tonight on this night, on Good Friday. If you were with us on Sunday, on Palm Sunday, that you might remember, we said when you look at the two gospel readings that are appointed traditionally for that day and read on that day, what they do, among other things, is remind us of two traits about Jesus, maybe two of the most defining traits that should we not appreciate them, it's really hard to say we understand who Jesus is at all. You might remember what those were. They were his majesty and his humility. And you could actually say something really similar about this passion reading when it comes to the cross. And that is, it is impossible to look at the cross and what happened on this night and not see two clear attributes that it tells us about our God, about the God of the Bible. And and just like Jesus's majesty and his humility, these are two attributes that we normally can't imagine going hand in hand together in one person. What are they then? Well, to answer what those two are, all we've got to do is remember again what took place on the cross on that night. And to do that, we just have to remember that according to John's account, to this gospel reading, on that night, Jesus didn't die on the cross. He didn't die. He was murdered. He was murdered. Everything in John's account of the crucifixion is about things that were done to Jesus by the people around him. Everything in this passage is about the way the people around Jesus traumatized him. This is an experience of trauma. They traumatized him, we know, emotionally. We know that. If you look at verse two, the soldiers, what do they do? They mock him. They put a purple robe on him. And if you know, the color purple was traditionally associated with royalty. They put this on him not to honor him. They put it on him sarcastically to mock him. They, they, they put it on him and they say, hail, king of the Jews. They mock him. They threaten him. He's threatened. Remember, he's having that conversation with Pontius Pilate. Verse 10. Pilate's asking him a series of questions. One of the ones, he looks at Jesus, says, where are you from? Just like Isaiah anticipates in many ways, Jesus doesn't answer him back. And then it's as if Pilate looks him in the eye and says to him, do you have any idea, you, this Jesus of Nazareth, do you have any clue how much power I have right now? I have the power to set you free. I have the power to crucify you. What's it gonna be? You wanna answer my question now? You ever stood in somebody else's presence that had your life in their hands and they were threatening to take it? Imagine how scary that must have been. He's mocked, he's threatened. And then just imagine the crowds calling for his life the mob 
that's yelling for him to be murdered. We read about that in two verses there. Verse six, verse 15, we read about the leaders. We read about the people yelling. It was so appropriate for us to do that in this reading tonight as the people crucify him, crucify him. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be Jesus in those moments? You ever had one of those moments where you are so scared, not only can you feel your heart beating in your chest, but you swear, not only you can hear it, you know the people around you can hear it. That's gotta be what Jesus felt like. So they traumatize him emotionally. They traumatize him, obviously, physically. How do they do that? Verse one starts out, they flog him. Verse two, they put the crown of thorns on him. It says, again, if you look carefully there, they literally, they twist the crown of thorns onto his head. As they put it on there, if that happened to any of us, we would have screamed at the top of our lungs. The soldiers, it says, verse three, they strike him. And then if that wasn't enough to break him, which it would have been for any of us, they lead him on that death march, including him carrying his own cross at times to that place of Golgotha, the place of the skull. And there it says in verse 18, they crucify him. They crucify him. They, they literally take a human being, they nail him to a piece of wood to die. That's what he goes through. I once remember hearing a pastor say, if we were there and we had watched it happen, we would have thrown up. And he's right, isn't he? It was gruesome. Now, the reality is you look at all those things that they did to Jesus that happened to him, the inhumane things they did to his mind, to his body. It's obvious. This isn't somebody that just died. This isn't like a, a pet that you might have that gets old. And we, we tell our kids it passed away from old age. This is somebody that was murdered. Why was he murdered? Now this starts to take us to the answer about this question of these two things that we're reminded of when we look to the cross. He was murdered because God is just. The God of the Bible is a just God. You know, think about this just for a second. Everybody knows when it comes to evil, the idea of evil in the world, and I don't, I don't just mean everybody here. I'm talking about everybody around us. We go out in the streets and talk to people about this. Everybody knows that evil is something that can't be ignored. Evil is something that's got to be dealt with. We got, somebody's got to address it. That's the conversation that's going on right now, by the way, as we know, with everything that's gone on in Ukraine, with all the innocent people that have been murdered. You probably heard about some of the events that took place last week or that were discovered last week that have been taking in the preceding weeks up to that. Just for example, you probably heard about the people that were at the train station. They've got their bags. They've got their kids. They're trying to get on a station to get out of there. 
And what happens? Two missiles. This really happened. Last week, two missiles hit the station. At least 50 people die. At least 50 kids die. Probably heard about the towns that the troops came to where the other troops had had to retreat. They had had to leave. What they find, they found the bodies of civilians in mass graves, people with their hands tied around their back. They had been shot in the head, execution style. Some places they had to leave so fast, the bodies weren't even covered up. They were just lying out in the elements to rot. You think about that and all that's taking place. And then you look at what people have said on TV and around the world in the papers. What do they say? This is wrong. These things are wrong. These are evil things. And then you begin to hear that language, people talking about investigations into things like war crimes, genocide. Now, here's a question. What's the premise behind having an investigation in those two things? What's the purpose behind those things? Is it not, A, to make sure these things never happen again, and B, because in situations like that, everybody wants people to be held accountable. Someone's got to be held accountable for these things that have taken place, these evil things. The question is, what happens when we're the ones that need to be held accountable? It's on a night like tonight, on Good Friday, that we remember the Bible's claim. All of us, it says, are guilty. That's what we saw in Isaiah 53, 6. All of us, no, probably not of war crimes, but of what the Bible calls sin, the, the, the reality that we were made by a good and perfect, loving God who made us to be in relationship with him, to serve him, to look to him for our greatest sense of meaning and purpose and identity. And what have we done? We have turned away from him. Nobody here does that. I don't do that. You don't do that. Nobody does that, at least naturally. We haven't done that. We haven't done the other thing that he's called us to do, which is to love other people. Andrew reminded us last night, we, we talk about that at the beginning of every one of our services. And because God is real, and because those two things are true, we are guilty. We're guilty when it comes to a holy, righteous, perfect God. I'm guilty, you're guilty. And if there is any hope for justice in the world, if God's not gonna ignore the evil in the world as, he, as we hope he would not, if he's actually gonna address it, deal with it, make it right, we've gotta be held accountable. There's gotta be accountability, doesn't there? Unless there is one that volunteers himself to be held accountable on our behalf. And that is obviously what Jesus does in this passage that we read tonight. On one hand, he's totally innocent. He's the most innocent human being that's ever lived. We know he's innocent. You look at Pontius Pilate, he concurs. Jesus is innocent. He says he can't find guilt in anything related to him. He's innocent, he's innocent, and at the same time, what does he do? He takes all of the punishment, all the, the judgment that we deserve, he takes it on himself so we wouldn't have to. 
the psychological punishment, the physical punishment, all the cost of our sin, he takes it on. And remember, this is important, we are all complicit. Every one of us, complicit. We've got to remember that. The great Anglican theologian and writer and evangelist, John Stott, puts it this way in his book, The Cross of Christ. If you haven't read it, go get it. He says this, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. So in a sense, in a sense, Jesus didn't die that night. He was murdered. Murdered for our sins and murdered because God is just. That's the first attribute that we see when we look at the cross. What's the other one? That gets even more obvious when we remember, you look carefully at this passage, as much as what we've just said is true, there's another sense that on this night, Jesus wasn't murdered, but he died. He died. And that's simply to say, the cross was not something ultimately that happens against the will of Jesus. It happens by his choice. He decides it. You could say it was for the sake of his sheep. You go somewhere like John chapter 10 and verse 11, Jesus calls himself what? Remember? He says, I am the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, what does he do? He lays down his life for the sheep. And then he adds this for anyone that's wondering. Verse 18, he says, no one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. So this this whole thing that we're remembering tonight, this is something that Jesus is pursuing. He is going after it. You look at the gospels, he uses the language again and again of must. He says, this is something that must happen. You go to Luke chapter nine, verse 22. What's he say talking about himself as the son of man and looking forward to this night we're remembering tonight. The son of man, he says, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, did you listen to that carefully? Listen to what Jesus said. He said, on one hand, I've got to be killed. These people have got to do these things to me. And at the same time, this is something that must happen. I'm the son of God. I'm more powerful than anyone else. It's got to happen. I'm going to allow it to happen. Both of them are there. So we've already seen again the cross pointing to the justice of God. Now looking at this, we see the other thing that it points us to, and that is the love of God. The cross points us to his love. And when it comes to the death of Jesus, as it's often been said, we did it. Our sins sent him there. He did it. Love drove him there. Love drove him there. Jesus loved people. Some of us have people in our lives we can think of that we think of as just the nicest, most loving person that we know. Jesus was a million times more loving than that person. Jesus loved people in his lifetime more than any of us will ever love somebody else. We were mindful of that 
As we looked at that chapter, John 13, verse one last night, Andrew led us in looking at that. And we remember, what does it say? That as, as his hour came, Jesus loved his disciples all the way to the very end. We're reminded of his love. We're reminded of the love of the Father. The Father. I mean, if you know those words from John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he did what? He loved the world enough that he gave his son. So it's out of love that the father gives his son. It's out of love that the son gives himself. Again, we did it. Our sins sent him there. And at the same time, he did it. Love drove him there. So there's the answer to our question tonight. What does the cross show us about God? What are the two things that every time we see a cross, every time we see that on Sunday, if you worship here regularly, every time you you drive by a church and see it maybe on top of a building, every time you either put a necklace with one on your neck or you see someone at a party or a dinner wearing one, every time we look at a cross, we are to remember two things. One, the uncompromising justice of God uncompromising, and to the unfathomable love of God. Both of these. And if, if we neglect one of these, if we think about his love, we pretend his justice isn't real, which a lot of people do. Or if we, if we talk all about his justice and we never talk about his love, friends, we are distorting the meaning of a cross. We are in some way, if we do one of those two things, distorting the meaning of the cross. We have to remember both of these when we look at that. So here's how I want to end tonight. This is especially for anybody tonight that's here and you might, you might not be sure if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You might know that you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. And that includes those of you that might be watching online, maybe now or later. If that's you, let's say... Um, you don't believe in God. And just for the sake of an exercise, we were to imagine, okay, if there was a God, what kind of attributes would you want that God to have? Can we not agree that two of the top attributes, if not the very top, would be that he would be a God of love and justice? Love and justice. Wouldn't we all want that? Everybody knows we would want first a God of love. I mean, that's the obvious one. Everybody would say that. Everybody says, you know, I believe in, I could only believe in a God of love. I believe that God is loving. Why? We, we want a God that will love us unconditionally. Of course, we want a God that will teach us as human beings to love each other. Everybody gets that. Everybody would agree with that. And at the same time, we've got to remember that when it comes to God, as unpoetic as it sounds, Love's not enough. Love is not enough. Some of you are wondering, what in the world can that mean? Because what good is love? Okay, if if when it comes to all the evil in the world, when it comes to the, the situations that we were just talking about halfway across the world, when it comes to all the exploitation, the greed, the abuse, including our own shortcomings, when it comes to all those things in the world, what good is a God of love if when it comes to those things, 
he either turns a blind eye to them, pretends they're not there, or the people that do them, he completely lets them off the hook as if it never happened. What good is that? Nobody wants a God of love without justice. What we need and what we want is a God of both. Love and justice. That's what we need. And and again, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to know the only place that you get both is by looking to the cross and looking to Jesus Christ. That's the only place where we find him. We we get a a God of of justice, again, who's gonna one day right every wrong. And then we get a God who is so driven by a love that is so compelling, he's, he's willing to do something that none of us would choose to do, which is to give his son. So that, as Paul says in Romans 3.26, that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. That's why the cross happens. So if you wanna believe in a God of love and justice, if you wanna believe in a world where love and justice should both be there, where they should both be present, You've got to look at the cross. You've got to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way you get it. You don't get it with any other belief system, any other worldview. You don't get it if God's not real. That's the only way. Many of you here tonight, many of you that are watching online, you've already done that. If that's you, praise God. Just remember, every time you look at a cross, both these things are true. And if that's not you, if you haven't done that, there'd be no better night to do that for the first time than a night like Good Friday. And so what I wanna do now is I wanna invite our director of worship arts, Savannah Rear, to come on up and lead us. We talked a couple weeks ago about the fact that when it comes to the experience of God's people in the Bible and worship, there are just some things in our souls some parts of us that we cannot express and that we cannot even feel sometimes except through the medium of music. And on all nights is not tonight one of the best nights that we could respond to something like this simply by sitting silently together and listening as we're led in song from this powerful one, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. (laughs) 